calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Let's Get Civical. This is the podcast that breaks down politics, government structure, and dives into the context of current events, but in a super fun way. I'm Lizzie Stewart, comedian, feminist, and political junkie. And I am Arden Walentowski, former Senate intern, campaign staffer, and political strategist. In this episode, we're talking about indigenous tribes in North America. So grab your cultural map and let's get civical. Welcome back to Let's Get Civical. I'm Lizzie Stewart. And I am Arden Walentowski. And I am well rested, everyone. Shut the front door! I know the moment that we thought would never happen, which Mm -hmm. is when is Lizzie going to actually get some sleep? I got some sleep. Yeah, you know what? It makes a difference. (laughs) Yeah. I, I hate to I hate to break it to you, but it makes a difference when you sleep as much as you should. It's really it's really wild how you feel less like shit, how yeah. your emotions are less triggered by things that would Correct. be less of an issue if you had more sleep. Correct. Your face I mean, looks different. You don't look like you're the picture of death. You know. I know. It's so good. And you saw me last night. I, when I was know. Dying. Yes, you guys, Arden and I saw each other in the flesh. It was crazy to see Arden wearing pants. Um, that was just really shocking for me. Yeah. And I was so tired. <laughs> and everybody stuck with me so well. But now I'm a whole different person. I feel like I'm seeing you for the first time again. I love it. I love it. Yeah, it was it's- last night was super fun. You, you 
you guys banged out those pizzas like nobody's business and they were fucking delicious. Good. I love that. Yeah. I love that. And this is a very special episode because it's our Thanksgiving episode. Yeah. Last year we did the history of Thanksgiving. So if you're curious about like the like the history of it, why we have Thanksgiving in the US, how we landed on that day, please listen to that episode because it's still um uh accurate because <laughs> it hasn't <laughs> changed. History <laughs> has not changed. History has not changed, and that's why we love her. But we also this year wanted to dive deeper into the sort of indigenous like history in America because they have played a huge part, especially in the story of Thanksgiving. And yet we only tell it from the side of like the pilgrims, um, you know, the very quote unquote peaceful pilgrims, which we all know is not necessarily the case. So... We kind of had this idea of doing this overview episode, which is what we're doing today. And then as history of Let's Get Civical goes on moving forward, we'll be doing like individual episodes on actual tribes themselves and going deep dive, like deep diving into individual big tribes that existed in the U.S. long before the pilgrims did. And it's exciting. It's super fun. It's super fun. Yeah. I had, I I mean, like, I I knew that, like, the various different, like, different tribes lived in different areas and they got food in different ways and they had different huts and and they had different languages. Like, there were things that I remembered learning about, you know, in school that I, I had a basic kind of overview. But what was really helpful is that I guess there's, like, a scholarly approach to, like, kind of categorizing the different tribes and it goes by geography. Yeah. And that was yeah. super helpful because then you can think of it as like a map mm-hmm. and and then within those geography geographic areas, they kind of group tribes together based on the languages that they spoke or the dialects of languages sure. that they spoke, which was yeah. very interesting. So, yeah, this was a really fun one to research um, and I think a great yeah. way to like go into Thanksgiving if you are celebrating mm-hmm. Thanksgiving. Absolutely. I agree. So before we get started, you want to talk about today's Sarsha Ronan sources? I see I see two familiar faces. I really do. Two familiar faces. A lot of this is coming from history.com, mainly because it was just such a concise version of the information. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's going to be really fun to go when we do the, the individual tribes and go and look at websites that are dedicated to that tribe or that area yeah. or whatever. But history.com, great source. And, you know, you love her, the Library of Congress, um, which has, I love her. Yeah, love her. She had a little bit to say about the Native Americans or the indigenous tribes and, you know, when the European settlers came over and she had some really great things to say about it that felt you know, let's include a, a section of American government and and their take on what that whole process was like. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm so excited for this episode. Yeah. I love the sources. And so let's, I want to, we're going to kick this off from a very like overview standpoint like we always do so let's start from a very overview question standpoint which is you know 
where did indigenous tribes come from and sort of what happened to them and again like there's a there's a lot that is in to answer those two questions but this is an overview episode and just know that when we get into individual tribes themselves we will get very more specific so these notes are coming from obviously both history.com and library of congress (laughs) i love this first thing Many thousands of years before Christopher Columbus's ships landed in the Bahamas, a different group of people discovered America, and they were the nomadic ancestors of modern indigenous Americans who hiked over a land bridge from Asia to what is now Alaska more than 12,000 years ago. So we're going back we have i don't think we've ever gone back yeah this is this is the farthest this is exciting this is the farthest we've gone back in in the go back machine in the go back machine machine. so that's where we are we're twelve thousand years ago in fact, by the time European adventurers arrived in the 15th century, scholars estimate that more than 50 million people were already living in the Americans. One of these some 10 million lived in the area that would become the United States. So I think this is a huge statistic because the history that we are taught is that Columbus discovered America. And I feel like, can you discover something that is inhabited by 10 million people? I would say the, the, the secret, the cat's out of the bag. It's discovered. I feel like it was a discovery to, to some people. Oh, sure. But not to 10 million. And then if you scope out wider, 50 million people. As time passed, these migrants and their descendants pushed south and east, adapting as they went. Hundreds of thousands of people lived in a wide range of environments from shore to shore, each community or nation with its own distinct culture. So these are sort of what we've been taught are the quote unquote Native American tribes. Yeah. The centuries that followed the arrival of the Europeans were years of tremendous upheaval as the expansion of settler territory and the founding and growth of the United States resulted in indigenous American communities being moved, renamed, combined, dispersed, and in some cases, destroyed. So again, the United States came on top of many communities that already existed. That history is just fact. Yeah. These dislocations and changes took place across many centuries, and each individual episode was marked by its own set of unique circumstances, from public negotiations and careful planning to subterfuge and deceit, from declarations of friendship to calls for genocide, from disease, starvation, and bloodshed, to perseverance, resistance, and hope in the face of persecution. Library of Congress is not messing around. She not kidding. Mind you, this, she not kidding. this is Library of Congress that is speaking. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. this isn't Lizzie Stewart. This is the Library of Congress's words right now. 
but all were driven by the relentless expansion of European settlement and U.S. territory and by U.S. government policies that relegated the independence and well-being of indigenous Americans to secondary status, if that. Yeah. 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 Retweet. Retweet. (laughs) (laughs) Indigenous American communities today span the continent and continue to grow and change, but the mass relocation and other changes, most notably those of the 19th and 20th centuries, shaped many aspects of U.S. societies in ways that persist today. In order to keep track of these diverse groups, anthropologists and geographers have divided them into, quote, cultural areas or rough groupings of contiguous peoples who shared similar habits and characteristics. Many scholars break North America, excluding present-day Mexico, into 10 separate cultural areas which are the Arctic, the Subarctic, the Northeast, the Southeast, the Plains, the Southwest, the Great Basin, California, the Northwest Coast, and the Plateau. I just love that, like, California's in there. Just, it's on its own. <laughs> it's on its own. It's like, here's, like, description of territory, description, description, California, description, <laughs> description, <laughs> plateau. I know. Like, it's, it's ordinal like- directions and also just, like, you know, description of how land looks, you know? Right. <laughs> it's so right. funny. It's a little all over the place. It's like, a little I mean, all over I'm the place. not a not an archaeologist i'm not a sociologist i'm not any ish it it just but i think we gotta come up with some better names for these cultural areas (laughs) if you will that were a little more cohesive and currently according to the u.s census bureau there are about 4.5 million native americans and alaskan natives in the u.s today And that's about 1.5% of the population. Yeah. Yeah. It's so small in comparison to what it once was. Yes. Like that, that can't be overstated enough that it was so many more people. And it should, had we not, you know, basically caused the mass deaths of a lot of indigenous americans it should be a way higher number yeah i wish i had found like what that number would be you know like how many oh had we had we not been yeah i don't yeah i mean i don't to the native americans how many yeah yeah i mean i don't know that like how because i don't know how you would find that number because there are also then other like other factors that come into play if those people are still you know there are other things there's like you know it's a domino effect but it would be really interesting if there if somebody and i'm sure somebody has attempted if somebody's done that math to see how many people there would have been yeah i'd love to know the numbers so we're going to talk about the different like cultural areas that lizzie just spoke about and it is helpful to talk about them I think in this way, kind of as a concept, because it just gives you like, I don't know, like, as I was reading through this, it just I was able to like, picture the land. And then like, as I read stuff about the tribes and nations that lived there, I was like, Oh, okay, that makes sense. Like, Right. The, the 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 tribes in Alaska, like used snowshoes. Like, of course, they did. Of course, that makes sense. Yeah. 
It's also like kind of how you when you're when you're young and you first like how the first thing you learn about geography are the continents. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like North America, South America, Europe, Asia, Africa, Australia, Antarctica. And then from there, the next step is like learning individually what's different about each continent. Yeah. And then you get more micro and then you get more micro and then you get so micro that it's like, oh my God, what's going on with Kentucky? You know, (laughs) it's that that micro. But in order to to understand that, you have to like learn where where that even exists on the globe. So I, I get why starting like this, which is, you know, learning at least for me for the first time just where on a map they are so like what region they're in what the you know what what weather is like what you know those sorts of things were like i think helps as we continue to get more micro on the tribes themselves so i love it cool lay it on me so here we go so let's start with the arctic the arctic culture area is a cold flat treeless region It's actually a frozen desert near the Arctic Circle in present-day Alaska, Canada, and Greenland, and it was home to the Inuit and the Alouette tribes. Both groups spoke and continue to speak dialects descended from what the scholars call the Eskimo-Alouette language family. Because it is such an inhospitable landscape, the Arctic's population was comparatively small and scattered. Some of its peoples, especially the Inuit in the northern part of the region, were nomads, which means they moved around a lot. They followed seals, polar bears, and other game as they migrated across the tundra. Which, I love that image of, like, just groups of people, like, following polar bears. (laughs) Sure. I love that. That's so amazing. It's their buffalo, right? It's their buffalo. That's for sure. That's what what the, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but that's what sort of our, the ones that exist in the United States did. It's like, follow the food. That's what I do. Yeah, I would too. I I mean... (laughs) Give me a hot dog truck. Always I'll follow, follow the food. Him. Yeah. Absolutely. In the southern part of the Arctic region, the Alouette were a bit more settled, living in small fishing villages along the shore. By the time the United States purchased Alaska in 1867, decades of oppression and exposure to European diseases had taken their toll. The native population had dropped to just 2,500, the descendants of those survivors still make their home in the area today. So there's still some people originally descended from the first tribes of the Alouette. Yeah. And Alouette. Yeah. Yeah. That are still living there today. I love like, it's just crazy how much disease we brought over. Yeah. Like we were dirty. Oh, yeah. I mean... It's a, lo- it's a you- lot of disease. It's a lot of disease. I mean, people in general were disgusting. 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 Nobody talks about it enough that literally every single person in Europe was disgusting. Yeah. And they were passing things back and forth. I mean, like, you know, like we just went... We, I mean, we still are going through COVID, but, you know, we went through the height of COVID and it was like, of course... People were passing COVID back and forth. I mean, could you imagine that, like, people living back? Th- I mean, they must have just been, like, you know, sneezing and, oh, here's 10 communicable diseases. Like, good luck. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. 
So next we'll talk about the subarctic, which is a, a culture, a cultural area most comprised of swampy piney forests and waterlogged tundra. Sounds great. Stretch. I love it. I love it already. <laughs> Give me my bloodstones and I am there. Give me my swamps, man. <laughs> Scholars have divided the region's people into two language groups, the Athabascan speakers at its western end and the Algonquin speakers at its eastern end. And the subarctic travel was difficult, sure, because swamps. Toboggans, snowshoes, and lightweight canoes were the primary means of transportation, and population was sparse. In general, the peoples of the subarctic did not form large permanent settlements. Instead, see, they had a right. Like, they built D.C. Mm. on a swamp, and that mm-hmm. shit's sinking. These people were like, we see that. We don't want any part of that. We're going to keep it moving along. We're going to keep it moving along. Instead, small family groups stuck together as they traipsed after herds of caribou. Love a caribou. Love a caribou. Very delicious, I have to say. Oh. They lived in small, easy-to-move tents and lean-tos, and when it grew too cold to hunt, they hunkered down into underground dugouts. They were smart. Yeah. They're following the they're following the the meat, they're following the food. They're like, we gotta keep moving. The ground is sinking under us. We mm-hmm. gotta keep it going. And then when it got too cold, they were like, let's dig ourselves a home. This is where we live for the winter months. Great. Bless. Bless. We're gonna take a quick break for a little word from our sponsors. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Next is the Northeast. The Northeast culture area uh, was one of the first to have sustained contact with Europeans. Obviously, because that's where the Europeans landed. So that was that was the first group that met up with those guys. The Northeast culture group stretches from present day Canada's Atlantic coast to North Carolina and inland to the Mississippi River Valley. 
Its inhabitants were members of two main groups, the Iroquoian speakers, most of whom lived along inland rivers and lakes and fortified politically stable villages, and the more numerous Algonquin speakers who lived in small farming and fishing villages along the ocean. There they grew crops like corn, beans, and vegetables. And look, they're both like living near the water. Like there's one group on the sure. ocean doing the doing the fishing, and then there's groups along the rivers because they also everybody needs water. Everybody needs water. You always they're, gotta stay next to water. Everybody needs water. You gotta stay next to water. If you're ever lost in the forest and you find like a little like a river or a stream, just follow the stream. Because it will yeah. lead you more than likely to either a bigger body of water and then keep following that along or to civilization. People settle along water. I would yep. settle along water. Hell yeah. I am settled along water. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. There's I, there's like a river to my left and a river to my right. Settle near water. <laughs> I wouldn't good. fish from it, but there it's, it's there. Yeah. Life in the Northeast culture area was already fraught with conflict. The Iroquoian groups tended to be rather aggressive and warlike, and bands of villages outside of their allied confederacies were never safe from their raids, and it grew more complicated when European colonizers arrived. Colonial wars repeatedly forced the region's indigenous people to take sides, pitting the Iroquois groups against their Algonquin neighbors. Meanwhile, as white settlement pressed westward, it eventually displaced both sets of indigenous people from their lands. Yeah. So they were fighting amongst each other, and then the settlers came in, and they right. shook it all up and disbanded <laughs> these. They were fighting amongst each other, and then the settlers tribes. came and said, hold on, I want in on this, mm-hmm. and started fighting as well. And we had guns. Yep. So the next region is the southeast. The southeast culture area, north of the Gulf of Mexico and south of the northeast, was a humid, fertile agricultural region i just want to be known as humid and fertile i've heard that about you that's the word on the street sure many of its natives were expert farmers they grew staple crops like maize beans squash tobacco and sunflower and they organized their lives around small ceremonial and market villages known as hamlets love a hamlet alas poor yorick (laughs) love a hamlet Perhaps the most familiar of the southeastern indigenous peoples are the Cherokee, Chicksaw, Choctaw, Creek, and Seminole. By the time the U.S. had won its independence from Britain, the southeast culture area had already lost many of its native people to disease and displacement. In 1830, the Federal Indian Removal Act compelled the relocation of what remained of the five civilized tribes so that white settlers could have their land. Between 1830 and 1838, federal officials forced nearly 100,000 indigenous people out of the southern states and into, quote, Indian territory, which would later become known as Oklahoma, west of the Mississippi. The Cherokee call this frequently deadly trek the Trail of Tears. This is why Andrew Jackson is a piece of shit. <laughs> Period. Yes. Period. Take him off the money. I'm begging you. I'm begging you. You can't you I can't know. have a something called the Trail of Tears happen under your administration and then get to be on the money. 
You know what I mean? No. I know what you mean. I okay. completely agree. Great. So that's the Southeast, which I feel like the Native American tribes listed there, I would agree, are like ones that we probably are the most familiar with as far as their names. Um, this is like the first, yeah. you know, section where I'm like, oh, yes, I recognize them. I Maybe because I grew up in Texas. Where you grew up. Yeah, I think it depends on where you grow up and where you went to school. Because the True. part that included, like, Ohio, I was like, oh, yeah. Like, I, I knew those. I remember learning gotcha. about those tribes. Gotcha. Yeah. So let's talk about the Plains, the region known as the Plains. The Plains culture area comprises the vast prairie region between the Mississippi River and the Rocky Mountains from present-day Canada to the Gulf of Mexico. Before the arrival of European traders and explorers, its inhabitants, speakers of the Siouan, Algonquin, Cadoan, Udo-Aztecan, and Athabascan languages were relatively settled hunters and farmers. After European contact, and especially after Spanish colonists brought horses to the region in the 18th century, the peoples of the Great Plains became so much more nomadic Groups like the Crow, Blackfeet, Cheyenne, Comanche, and Arapaho used horses to pursue great herds of buffalo across the prairie. So this is like, I feel like a very stock image, right? Is yeah, indigenous people on horseback pursuing buffalo. Like that's the image, you know, along yeah. with like teepees. Yeah. yeah. The most common dwelling for these hunters, <laughs> speak of the devil, were, yep. was the cone-shaped teepee, a bison skin tent that could be folded up and carried anywhere. Plains Indians are known, are also known for their elaborately feathered war bonnets. So I feel like when we think of what, like, when I think of what, like, like a Native American, right? Like, yeah. like stereotypes that, like yep. imagery that you see all the time. This is where it's coming yep. from. It's coming from the plains, you know, indigenous tribes yep. and yep. elements of their living situation. So that's the plains. Next up is the Southwest. So we are moving. We're moving and grooving. We're moving along. The peoples of the Southwest culture area which was a huge desert region in present-day Arizona and New Mexico, along with parts of Colorado, Utah, Texas, and Mexico, developed two distinctive ways of life. So first, sedentary farmers, such as the Hopi, the Zuni, the Yaqui, and the Yuma, grew crops like corn, beans, and squash. Many lived in permanent settlements known as pueblos, built of stone and adobe, Those pueblos featured great multi-story dwellings that resembled apartment houses. So very structured. It is interesting. Like, as we're going through, it's like some are so, there's no structure to it, right? It's all incredibly nomadic. And then there are other regions and other tribes that put down roots in a very permanent way. Yeah. It's so interesting. I mean, and, and I know that it's all basically based on what natural resources were around them, like mm-hmm. f- primarily yeah. food. Like if you can't farm on the land, then you have to go where the food is going. 
Right. So all very fascinating. You got to follow that food. Got to follow the food. Other Southwestern peoples, such as the Navajo and Apache, were more nomadic. They survived by hunting, gathering, and raiding their more stabilized neighbors for their crops. And because these groups were always on the move, their homes were much less permanent than the Pueblos. For instance, the Navajo fashioned their iconic eastward-facing roundhouses, known as hogans, out of materials like mud and bark. Do you think you could build a shelter for yourself if you had to, no. using the land? I, I, I mean, if I had to and I had time and it wasn't on some, you know, like reality show where you also have to do it while walking around naked, I could probably fashion something, mm. but it would take, I fear, months. Yeah. And like, I, I just... Because it would, like, I, I don't know. I would probably, like, stick a big thing in the ground and then be like, well, that's going to fall. And then, like, try and, like, slap other, like, mud on it like a gingerbread house with frosting. Except, like, that next one would fall. You know, I just, uh, I I would like to say that I have high hopes, but I feel like, oof, I feel like it would be rough. Yeah. I don't stand a chance. A <laughs> <laughs> building shelter. I don't stand a chance. I'm not good. I'm not, I'm not good at engineering. I'm not particularly strong. I don't understand how, uh, materials work (laughs) together. (laughs) Yeah. That's Um, so funny. I have, I have a vague recollection now of being in fourth grade Girl Scout camp. And I don't remember, I mean, this is Ohio. So I, I don't remember what tribe we had studied or even if we had studied a tribe, because again, nineties, Ohio, but I remember like they took us out into the fields and they had this like huge like mock like teepee basically. And mm. they were like, here are all the parts, fourth graders, try and assemble a teepee. And it was like, A, super fun, B, like maybe a good way to teach kids like what it would have been like to, but also see like not realistic. Not realistic. It's not just like randomly there in a forest yeah there's like camp counselors to help you yeah (laughs) that was so crazy oh my god i just had like a flashback to being in fourth grade (laughs) um okay so next we're going to talk about the great basin the great basin culture area is an expansive bowl formed by the rocky mountains to the east the sierra nevadas to the west the columbia plateau to the north and the colorado plateau plateau to the south it was a barren wasteland of deserts, salt flats, and brackish lakes. Doesn't sound great. Yeah. Pro- great views, probably, but I know. I bet it's honestly now I bet it. it's gorgeous. Like Yes. Yeah. I bet yeah, it's I just hear amazing. desert and go, oh God. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Its people, most of whom spoke Shoshonean or Uto Aztecan dialects, foraged for roots, seeds, and nuts, and hunted snakes, lizards, and small mammals. Because they were always on the move, they lived in compact, easy-to-build wickiups made of willow poles or saplings, leaves, and brush. Their settlements and social groups were were impermanent, and communal leadership, what little there was, was informal. So we talked earlier about um, a settlement that was, like, very politically sound, very politically structured. Like, that, to me, is not political and, like, how we would think of it, but just, like, a hierarchy. There's a hierarchy and a leadership. 
that's not true of the people in the Great Basin. They right. were small groups, sounds like very, you know, nomadic and, you know, if you're eating lizards. Hey, I mean, know, honestly, Godspeed. it's like, it probably was good. That's the thing. I is, don't know. I mean, or how, it's all about how you dress it. You know what I mean? If you, good, if you put it's a good true. dry rub on anything, could be good. Yeah. Could be good. Could be good. Find you some rosemary and a bush. Call hey. it a day. Hey. So the next uh, cultural area is California. <laughs> uh, not, a, not a state not at the, the time. Not the state, but the cultural but area. The area. The, may look like yes, the state the area of California. Of California. <laughs> Before European contact, the temperate California area had more people than any other North American landscape at the time, which was approximately 300,000 people in the mid-16th century. It's estimated that a hundred different tribes and groups spoke more than 200 dialects. It's wild. Despite this great diversity, many native Californians lived very similar lives. They did not practice much agriculture. Instead, they organized themselves into small family-based bands of hunter-gatherers known as tribalets. Inter-tribalet relationships based on well-established systems of trade and common rights were generally peaceful. Sure. I like that. I like yeah. the California culture that it's they like got soci- going on. It's a that's, society, that's right? It's, you know. It's a society. Yeah. It's a very great. modern, civilized society that they had. Yeah. Okay, we have two more to go. So the second to last cultural group is the Northwest Coast. The Northwest Coast culture area along the Pacific Coast from British Columbia to the top of Northern California has a mild climate and an abundance of natural resources. In particular, the ocean and the region's rivers provided almost everything its people needed, salmon especially, but also whales, sea otters, seals, and fish, and shellfish of all kinds. Fish is so good for you. It's so good. I bet these people were super healthy. Sure. (laughs) I would love that. As a result, unlike many other hunter-gatherers who struggled to eke out a living and were forced to follow animal herds from place to place, the indigenous of the Pacific Northwest were secure enough to build permanent villages that housed hundreds of people apiece. Those villages operated according to a rigidly stratified social structure more sophisticated than any outside of Mexico and Central America. A person's status was determined by his closeness to the village's chief and reinforced by the number of possessions, such as blankets, shells, and skins, canoes, and even slaves, he had at his disposal. So this mirrors a lot of, like, what we, like, our society was, which was who do you know who knows? And how well connected are you? And how much do you have in property? Yeah. And then finally, the plateau. The plateau cultural area sat in the Columbia and Fraser River basins at the intersections of the subarctic, the plains, the Great Basin, the California, and the Northwest Coast, which is present day Idaho, Montana, Eastern Oregon, and Washington. Many of its people lived in small peaceful villages along stream and riverbanks and survived by fishing for salmon and trout, 
hunting and gathering wild berries, roots, and nuts. In 1805, the explorers, Lewis and Clark, passed through this area, followed by increasing numbers of white settlers. By the end of the 19th century, most of the remaining members of the Plateau tribes had been cleared from their lands and resettled in government reservations. So Sacagawea comes from the Plateau. Yeah. This does remind me that we still have to do an episode on Lewis and Clark. Don't think we've forgotten. We will do a Lewis and Clark episode. We will. I mean, I feel like I started those notes. They're somewhere. And then for oh, some yeah. reason we started, we did something else and I'm sure it was really important. I just can't remember. Yeah. What it was. I think we were going to do Lewis and Clark and then something like the insurrection happened and we were like, we've got to put a oh, pause right, on right, Lewis right. and Clark. I don't think it was the insurrection specifically, but it was, but something, it was something like that. That monumental where we just had to go, yeah. oh, hold on. We can't do Lewis and Clark hold right up, now. Hold up, hold up, hold up. We've got to wait for a peaceful time. We've got to wait for a peaceful time. But those are the 10 cultural areas, and that's kind of the end of our overview episode on the indigenous tribes that existed here in North America long before we, the European settlers, did. I'm so excited to actually, like, dive into some of these tribes because they just were so advanced in many ways. And I feel like a lot of that history was completely lost or rewritten. Or or not even, it's just not talked about. Like, I, I think, I, I mean, I think that in some ways we do actually know a lot about the tribes. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure different tribes to varying degrees, but we just don't really, we don't really talk about it because it wasn't important to talk about it at the time. Sure. Yeah. But now yeah. guess what we're doing? We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. But that, we will talk about it on episodes coming out after this episode. So stay tuned for that. We hope everybody who is celebrating Thanksgiving has a happy and healthy holiday. Uh, Everybody needs a break. So I hope you Mm -hmm. eat and rest in whatever way feels most appropriate to you. And in the meantime, we love you so, so much. And if you like what you heard, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Get Civical. As always, you can rate us. You can review us. You can subscribe to us. We love you so, so much. And we will see you next Wednesday. Goodbye.